This is a case from the Hekigan Roku. <coughs> Changsha wandering in the mountains. The case. One day, Changsha went wandering in the mountains. Upon returning, when he got to the gate, the head monk asked, Where are you coming from, master? Changsha said, From wandering in the mountains. The head monk asked, Where did you go? Changsha said, first I went pursuing the fragrant grasses. Then I returned following the falling flowers. The head monk said, how very much like the sense of springtime. And Changsha said, it even surpasses the autumn dew dripping on the lotuses. Zuetu added a remark, thank you for your reply. The verse. The earth is clear of any dust, whose eyes do not open. First he went following the fragrant grasses, then he returned pursuing the falling flowers. A weary crane alights on a withered tree, a mad monkey cries on the ancient terrace. Changsha's boundless meaning, bah! We just chanted opening this Dharma. Now we hear this. Now we see this. The wind is howling. Now we hear it. The trees respond. Now we see it. Now we hear that too. So, do we pay attention? Do we see, do we understand the connection between the wind howling, the trees responding, and our practice? Or do we write it off as just another thing that I've seen many times, heard many times. And maybe I don't have time for right now. Do we pay attention? Well, before we <clears throat> got into the holiday period, the recent holiday period, somebody asked me if I celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah. And I said that I don't celebrate either one of those holidays, not in a traditional way. But I do celebrate the fact that everything seems to slow down around the holiday period. Everything becomes more quiet in, compar in comparison to other times throughout the year. And I celebrate the, the possibility or the, the opportunity to hear what we often can't hear or to see what we often can't see. 
because we are so caught up, so much buzz, so much rushing about, getting things done, being productive, moving towards a goal. And then during the holidays, all of it seems, to, all this pace seems to subside for a bit. And when we don't have an obligation to celebrate anything, which I'm very happy to say I don't, you actually get the opportunity to, to rest in the quietude of the season and appreciate this soothing lull. So it's less, less traffic out there. And I often feel that early in the morning. It's why I love the mornings. There is this, when you wake up early before the world wakes up, before the buzz begins, or before we begin to produce buzz as human beings, before we begin to turn this, uh, turn this incessant mechanism, there is again an opportunity to experience this amazing quietude and actually rest in that quietude. Early in the morning or late at night, it seems easier to experience a deep sense of being that is essentially free of any achievements, titles, definitions, goals, parameters, or anything that is quantifiable. Anything that has to do with our doing and what we may expect, what outcome we may expect of our doing. And then to sense this underlying being is actually to experience tremendous power and a great relief, which simply means that there's nowhere to go, nothing else to do, ever. Of course, it's always available, but not always experienced. We often get, it gets covered up by our sense of incompleteness, maybe, a deep yearning to find the meaning in life, And also, it may be easy to see how our zazen practice is a gateway to experience a sense of being okay with nowhere to go and nothing to do. Right? Because this is what we practice on the cushion. Staying, staying, staying with being. Not going with the thoughts, not following our emotions, not creating further stories. But, you know, to, to actually take it off the cushion, which is what we are, which is what practice is encouraging us to do, there is what we call kinhin, and kinhin is a wonderful way. We don't talk much about it, or maybe not enough about it. But kinhin is a great way to mobilize, to actualize, 
what we recognize or realize on the cushion. And in a way, it's a link between cushion practice and moment-by-moment everyday life practice. The instruction in Kinhin, instructions, are to pay attention to every step. So it means to not see the walking as means to an end, which is the destination, but to see walking as the destination. To recognize that every, every time we put the foot down, we are arriving, we have arrived at the destination. And then we pick up the other foot, put it down, arrived at the destination. Step by step, breath by breath, moment by moment, we've arrived. We are exactly where we need to be. Well, we're exactly where we can be. And it simply means that if we walk from, you get up now and you walk to the window to open the window, get some fresh air, until you get to the window to open the window, there is no window. And there is no opening anything. There's only this. There's only putting the foot down. There's only experiencing actually experiencing how when you put the foot down, the earth comes up to meet you and support you. There's only this. And then the other step, the next one, there's only this step. And if we do arrive at that window that we think we need to open, there's only this. So if we walk from here to the window to open it, there is the idea of opening a window. It's only an idea, which may or may not happen. But if we're very vested in opening a window, first we are giving up a lot, we are rejecting a lot along the way, we're not partaking in anything else along the way, and second, maybe we miss an opportunity to do something else that we are needed more than opening a window. Maybe we become blind to where we are needed at that moment. Maybe we have a tunnel vision and all we see is the window. All we see is what's next. It's nothing to do with window or walking. It has to do with a way of living. And it never ends. You open the window, you see something outside. That begins to churn things in the mind. That begins to raise connotations. And then what's next? How does it end? Or does it? So there's a lot that Kinhin offers And on one level, everything I just said is completely pointless. Because when we get up to walk, we just walk. That's it. And if we practice it this way, then everything I just said is understood as pointless. 
Right? So can we do that? Can we practice it this way? Can we bring ourselves to that sense of being? The boundless sense of being. And rest in that. Regardless of what happens. Regardless of any idea of what's next. In a way to burn the before and after with each breath. To let go of the expectations of how I think things should be, where I think I should be, where I think what I think I'm lacking, and when I think I will actually get it. Buddhism does not teach anything about anything else other than what is going on right now. Actually, Buddhism is not interested in anything else other than what's going on right now. Not disregarding anything. Not disregarding what was, not disregarding what will be. But realizing, recognizing that what was and what will be happen right now. So every step, when taken with awareness, is uniting what was and what will be. Every step, every breath. You know, to realize it actually is, is to realize the great responsibility of our practice, to recognize what it really means. And also to recognize how quickly we throw it away. Even with practice, right? So you take this practice and you got into it for whatever reasons you got into it. We all got involved for different reasons, right? With some expectations. You know, when I first got involved in this, I had some common knowledge of Zen and Buddhism, what I was able to read or find, what I thought I knew about it. But I had no idea, no idea about where is it going to take me, what I will experience, how I will experience it, and the depth of the ways, the many ways in which it will Transform my life. Right? How could I? How can I? No. But we only see what we can see from where we're standing. So there's no way to know. So we don't know. There are the expectations, and then there is the practice. And the expectations are devoid of 
experiential understanding. Because they come before the experience. So they are lifeless. So what do we do with our expectations? Nothing. Right? Put them aside. Put them aside so they don't mess with the practice. So they don't grab our attention. So they don't blind us to what the practice offers or what the practice sheds light on. So we put them down. And we raise the intention to pay attention. What we do is actually we put ourselves down, aside. Right? Put yourself aside for a little while. And allow what's going on to be the primary focus. In this koan, we encounter Changsha, 9th century Chinese Zen master, who was a disciple of uh, Nan Quan. You remember Nan Quan, who was Joshua's teacher. And it is said that Changsha was known for his sharp and swift style. And it says that if anyone asked him about the teachings, then he would give them an explanation of the teachings. If somebody wanted a verse, he would give them a verse. If you wanted to have a meeting of adepts, then he would have a meeting of adepts with you. In other words, he was free to fit the occasion and shapeshift as needed. And he was free because he was nowhere else. He had nothing, to, nothing else to do, nothing to prove, nowhere else to go. And he wasn't holding on to anything as who he thought he is. So to be free to fit the occasion. And in this case, he happened to be wandering in the mountains. And he got back to the monastery. Probably was away for some time, and he returned. Hedmon greeted him at the gate and asked, Where are you coming from, Master? And Changsha said, From wandering in the mountains. And you know, dialogues, as most of you know, in, in, in koans, recorded in koans, are not casual conversations between two people. They're often Dharma exchanges that are meant to sharpen the spiritual eye off the individuals involved, but also our spiritual eye to sharpen, to deepen, to open our ability to see beyond what we think, beyond our expectations. So the question where are you coming from? And that was a common way to begin 
Dharma encounters in the essential world, essential realm, there is no coming and going. So Changsha responds fittingly by saying, from wandering in the mountains. And the word wandering in the dictionary is defined as traveling aimlessly from place to place. Not having a destination, not having a goal. Not having anything. Just walking around aimlessly. It's quite the opposite of what we're taught that we need to do when we grow up. Figure out who you are, find something to do, become someone. So traveling aimlessly from place to place. That's a good description of, it should be, under Zen practitioner, the definition is the one who travels aimlessly from place to place. So the answer is clear. But head monk either didn't get it or wanted to push for some more teachings. So he asked, where did you go? In the commentary, he says, since he was wandering in the mountains, why did the head monk ask, where did you go? Right? Since he was traveling aimlessly, or at least that's what he said, why would the head monk ask about a place, a destination? He says, if he had been one of today's followers of Zen, he would have said, I came to the inn on Manchia. See how that man of old did not have even the slightest hair of reason or judgment, and that he had no place to abide. That is why he said, first I went following the fragrant grasses, then I returned pursuing the falling flowers. He says, first I went pursuing the fragrant grasses. Then I returned following the falling flowers. What does it mean to follow the, gra the grasses, to follow the nose, to walk with the excitement maybe of what I think I may find? What are the expectations? Why do we practice? Why did we begin practicing? And are those expectations met? And even when we do walk around with expectations, how do we do that? Can we walk around with expectations while walking around without expectations? Or can we not allow those expectations to, or judgments, to create any hindrances when we walk. Can we walk light? Then he returned following the falling flowers. Flowers fall. We die. Then 
that may not be what we expect to find in practice. That actually may be what we try to escape from by entering a path. We may be using the practice to cover up something. We could be doing a lot of things with the practice. All we. All you. Then Changsha said, that even so, okay, before that, the head monk said, How very much like the sense of springtime. And Changsha said, Even surpasses the autumn dew dripping from the lotuses. So there is a statement, an answer, and then a response to the answer. There is a calling and answering. So the head monk is meeting him there, celebrating the experience. How wonderful that must be. And Changsha said, no. You have no idea. Oh, you have an idea, therefore you have no experience. So there are two commentaries I want to bring up here in relation to that for, from uh, Hakuin, Rinzai Master, and Tenke Soto Master in our lineage. And Hakuin said, First, I follow the fragrant grasses on the way out. And he says, driven by enthusiasm, drawn by the fragrant grasses, he goes forgetting himself. This is splendid. It cannot be labeled the transcendental or the imminent, the present or the beyond. Then I came back pursuing the falling flowers. When the sun was over, he came back. And when returning, he also forgot himself in the falling flowers. How very much like the sense of spring. He held up a 150-pound hammer before him. How peaceful and pleasant it must be. And it even surpasses the autumn dew. It even surpasses the desolate scenery of autumn. And he says, this is without any order of Buddhism. So he went, forgetting himself. He came back, forgetting himself. So he was driven by enthusiasm, excitement, right? not knowing what we will see on the way. When we set foot to go somewhere, to do something, there are trepidations, there is excitement, maybe some fear about what we will or will not find. Can we lose that with every step? Can we lose the idea of a destination while we are entering the unknown, traveling somewhere maybe we haven't been to before, maybe a place we have been to? Right? Either way, we have baggage that gets tagged along 
Can we lose it? Or can we put it aside? So to enter practice with expectation to find something, that's extra. And to come back creating something with what we have found, that's also extra. So what Hakuin said, Changsha was able to lose himself going and coming back. And in losing ourselves through going, there is no going. In losing ourselves to coming back, there is no coming back. And there's no finding, no losing. In Tenke's commentary, he said, roaming the mountains requires free time. In the context of Zen, so-called roaming the mountains and enjoying the waters refers to the state of those who have done their task and transcended Buddhas and Zen masters. Roaming the mountains does not just mean literally going up in the mountains. All the activity and repose of such a person, day and night, is roaming the mountains. And this is, this is what we, when we talk about kinhin, maybe as a link between our sitting practice and our everyday life, that's what that means. We, we take that and we mobilize the ability to lose ourselves or to lose the extras through moment-by-moment -moment activities. So what he's talking about here is day and night of a practitioner. All activities of a practitioner. And then when we practice this way, practice never begins and never ends. It says the general meaning of the koan can be seen as all about roaming the mountains. When the congregation leader asks the master where he's been, there is an echo in his words, trying to examine Changsha's footprints. First, I followed roaming the mountains without impediment without fixation anywhere, beyond emotional objectification or comparative judgments. Like spring, how wonderful, how peaceful the sense you experience and express. And he says with the underlying meaning that there, is still, seems, there still seems to be some warmth somewhere. Surpasses autumn. No, there isn't. Don't you know it is pure, cool state of mind without the slightest breath of warmth? Cold. You know, cold is something that we, we think means to be numb, to shut down, to turn away from emotions. But that's not what that means. It means to cool down. The powerful vortex of our thoughts and emotions. So when we meet them, we know how to handle them. 
We meet them as the one who observes, as the witness, as the master, not as the servant, not as the one who has the noose on the nose. How many times thoughts, emotions show up, habits show up, kick us out of the driver's seat into the passenger side. You're going to sit here now. I'm driving. And when those habits drive, I think we know where we end up. So to reclaim our lives, to reclaim this moment or the ability to engage this moment. That's the coldness that this is referring to. That's the sword of wisdom. The sword is cold. The sword of being, the underlying quietude. Where does it go? Where does it disappear? How does it disappear when we get caught up in so much noise? So when we begin practice, we step on the path. We don't know much other than what we think we know, right? We don't have much experience. And it's a process of spiritual maturation. And the excitement, the initial excitement, changes. It becomes a lot deeper. The initial excitement is somewhat superficial, thought-based, emotional-based, expectation-based. And, and it spikes. It goes up. It goes down. We feel great. We feel terrible. And then with time and practice, the spikes are not so spiky. We become more equanimous. We become more in tune, more alert. Less expecting something else to happen and more appreciating what is happening. More unified. Not trying to do anything else or create anything else. Mother Kuhn actually wrote about this. This is the savor of Kensho is different at 60 years of age from that of 30 years of age. And he says, you can see this clearly in the writings, uh, the writings of Dogen Zenji. Everywhere in his early writings of his enlightenment, his enlightened eye gives you a dazzling effect. But as it gradually ripens, it gives an impression of oxidized silver or patina. 
you see how time and experience work. And then he says, there the heart knows an entirely different degree of stability. The heart knows an entirely different degree of stability. And it is the heart. The coldness does not reject the heart. It's the heart that knows, or heart-mind that knows. It's not impulsive. It's not tethered to our thoughts and emotions. It's before the mind moves. It's before a thought appears, an emotion arises. It's before we create the noise. And there we know everything because we are everything. And from there, looking at the wind, looking at the effects of the wind on the trees, listening to the wind howling, We hear everything. We see everything we need to see. And the Dharma fully manifests. And instantly we are taught what we need to be taught. It echoes in our hearts. So the expectations and the reality of practice, thank God, they are totally different. Because the expectations are self-motivated, self-based. I want to feel different. I want to be enlightened. I want peace. I want to help others. All of it goes away. As you know from the verse, I'll read it again, the verse, Joshua's verse, when he was, I think, 100 years old. It says, the cock crows in the early morning. Sadly, I see as I rise how worn out I am. I have at a kilt or a shirt just a semblance of a robe. My loincloth has no seat. My pants, no opening. On my head are three or five pecks of gray ashes. Originally, I intended to practice to help save others. Who would have suspected that instead I would become an idiot? So if, you, if we tell people at the beginning if you practice for a long, 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 long time, very diligently, you will become an idiot. And you put that side by side with the expectation, doesn't work. So 
So everything we want is taken away or is deemed as not important over time through practice. And then practice itself actually sheds light on what there's no way we can imagine on the depth and beauty and connectedness that is beyond, it surpasses our ability to comprehend. That's why he says it even surpasses what you imagine, what you think. Shibayama commented on, on another teacher, Tokusan. When Tokusan, Tokusan was a very fierce teacher, very demanding teacher for many years. And when he was in his 80s, he came down to the kitchen or to the dining room with his bowls, expecting to have lunch. And the head the Tenzo, the, the head cook, told him, why are you here? You know, the, we have not rung the bell yet. And he nodded and went right back to his room. Very simple. Fit the occasion. Nothing more, nothing less to it. And then Shibayama said about that, there's no stink of Zen. He leaves Tokusan. He lives with no pretension, no affectation. His transcendental is like that of an infant. Nobody can easily reach such level of spirituality. Nobody can easily reach such level of spirituality. When the wind comes, the tree moves. Can we reach that depth of spirituality? The verse, the earth is clear of any dust. It's always been this way. Before the mind moves, before emotions Move us. The earth is clear of any dust. Well, before, during, and after. As we chant, from the beginning, all beings are Buddhas. And whose eyes do not open. When we realize that the earth is clear of any dust, whose eyes do not open. Of course. But only when realized personally. The, the footnote says, one must emit a great radiant light from the forehead before this is possible. In other words, the third eye needs to open before we realize that the earth has always been free of any dust. And then it says, in the footnote, why scatter dirt and sand? 
Why do we get caught up? Why do we create complications? Maybe never mind why. Can we see that we create complications? Can we become aware of the fact that this is my own creation? Simple is not good enough for us. We want more than simple. We want more than this. So we want to go somewhere else. But that somewhere else doesn't quench the thirst. It doesn't take care of wanting to go somewhere else. We get there when we want to go somewhere else. We sit down, we want to get up. We get up, we want to go somewhere. There's always that incessant need, this constant need for something else. Why scatter dirt and sand? First he went following the fragrant grasses, then he returned pursuing the falling flowers. And it says the footnote, everywhere is completely real. Luckily he came back. Under his feet, the mud is three feet deep. It is, but he's fine with that. He's fine with that because he's not caught up by the mud while being in the mud. Because the earth is free of any dust. And he gets it. A word crane alights on a widow tree. The crane is associated with longevity. And the footnote says, accompanying him left and right, he adds a phrase. Still, there are so many idle concerns. A mad monkey cries on the ancient terrace. And it says, a footnote, after all, it depends on personal application of effort. It is impossible either to add a phrase or take a phrase away. And, and Tenke actually commented on this saying, what an immaculate, unimpeded realm this is. There are no tracks either coming or going. No comparing objects of emotions. When Sergio looks at this, Sergio is the one actually who commented and says thank you for the answer. Sergio is the one who compiled this book. He says, from the left side, he looks like a weary crane worn out from the flight. That's referring to Changsha. Standing on the left, on the other side, he looks like a withered tree. And he looks like a mad monkey or an ignorant ape screeching on a desolate ancient terrace. Be it notions of Buddha or notions of Dharma, reasoning of or figuring, there are no specks of warmth. And then he says, unimpeded effortless activity is a realm of clean simplicity. Unimpeded effortless activity is 
a realm of clean simplicity. Every step. Going, coming back, with expectations, without expectations. Before realizing, after realizing. So to function within our conventional reality, while being rooted in the fundamental reality or realm. That can create an appearance of madness or a mad person. How come you're not reactive? How come you're not saying anything about this or taken by all this? How come you're not caught up? Don't you care? Are you emotionless? So it seems as if it's madness or detachment or disconnectedness with reality or from reality. But it's actually quite the opposite. Wisdom can come across as crazy if we don't know how to communicate from it or with it. Zhuang Tzu. Taoist teacher once said, I will now speak to you crazy words and you will listen in a crazy way. We need to change the way we hear in order to hear that the howling wind is teaching us everything we need to know. Otherwise, we hear it from a conventional realm. And it makes it meaningless. Who cares about the wind? I got other things to worry about now. So to be crazy or an idiot or whatever, if there is a goal, that's the goal. Changsha's boundless meaning in the last line is bar. Too much said. One word is too much said. All teishos are extra, pointless, meaningless. The meaning is boundless. So we just entered a new year. Actually, we find ourselves in, in very crazy times, different kind of crazy, perilous times. And we do have our work cut out for us on so many levels. Social justice, injustice, right? Hatred, crimes, discrimination, gun violence, Deterioration of moral values, global warming. So maybe our practice is more needed than ever this time. 
So how do we, how can we roll up our sleeves and do what's needed without desperation, without being discouraged by what's happening? How can we realize that every instance is perfectly complete and at the same time there is urgent work to take care of? How can we bring the ground of being to the insanity of this world? How can we maintain devotion to practice? Share it with the world. And spring to action with every step. How do we share the simple fact that every step is it fully without getting caught up in arguments in trying to prove something to convince someone of what we think how do we not become self-righteous about our opinions How can we stay here and never go anywhere? How do we do that? Individually, collectively? And the answer to that is devotion to practice moment by moment. Not making anything out of practice not following our thoughts about it, not creating opinions about it. Breath by breath, step by step, this is it. <laughs>